This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about financial recovery after a divorce. Kind of a rough topic, but, you know, I guess I want to think about this topic as one of hope, not one of sadness, because once the divorce is done, then it's time to face forward and figure out how do you recover and what concrete steps can you take to put yourself in an even better position going forward. So today I have with me financial planner Julie Chadwick. And Julie, what would you say is the first thing that you really need to do once your divorce is done in order to figure out how to move forward? Well, and like you said, in a difficult time, it's, you know, you, you really don't know where to pick up and start. So one of the most important things, first of all, is to assess that financial situation. Absolutely. That's going to be the first target for you to be able to sit down, dig in and figure out, all right, what things do we need to make changes to and how can we start moving forward? Right. And I think that the two biggest areas to assess have to do with your cash flow, now that you know what incomes are going to be coming in, and the actual assets that now you own. So during a divorce, sometimes it quickly happens and sometimes it takes a little while once the divorce is done for the assets to actually split. But most of the times there is an asset split, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to get this account. Somebody's going to get that account. You're going to split this one over here. And that can take some time. But you do have to assess what did you end up with? So you can make a good plan of what are you going to do with it right. <laughs> going forward. Right. And some quick things that you're going to know right away is what's the loss of income of the spouse that's no longer there? Mm-hmm. And what are the expenses that now you're going to have to take on that maybe you didn't have before? So those are some quick things to start when maybe the asset stuff isn't all settled down. Yeah. So those are the quick things that you can first get started off with. So let's talk a little bit about the income side of financial recovery following a divorce. So if you've had a two-income household pre-divorce, now you're going to have a one-income household. And some people, it's going to be a one-point-something because you might have alimony and child support coming in too. Mm -hmm. So when you know what your incomes are, you're also likely to know how long they might last because child support has a finite time length. It's going to end at some point, right? Right. And alimony often does too. Mm -hmm. That's not usually something that's forever. It might be if you structured it that way, but more often than not, it isn't. So part of financial recovery following a divorce is understanding the length of your income stream. So you know what you have to do to pay off some debt by the time they're done or what you're going to have to adjust in your life when some income streams like child support and alimony stop. So in order to figure out how this all is going to work, as unfortunate as it probably seems, one of the best recommendations that we can give you is to establish a budget. And a lot of people don't like that. We call that the B word in our industry. (laughs) And it's the budget word. People, you know, a lot of times will shy away from coming to talk to us just because they're like, I don't want to have to develop a budget and come out. But that's going to be the best way to really be able to assess everything. So you can simplify it. But at the end of the day, your expenses boil down into two categories. You've got fixed expenses, which are bills that are going to occur every month and are probably around the same dollar amount. And you've got discretionary expenses. And discretionary expenses 
expenses are things like entertainment, vacations, you know, dining out, things like that. The things that kind of make life a lot of fun. (laughs) The Starbucks coffee in the morning, you know, the things Mm -hmm. that you think you can't live without, but really they are luxuries. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So if if nothing else, if we figure out the fixed expenses, it's going to give us a handle on what kind of, you know, outflow there's going to be. And one of the things that we're really good at is helping people figure that budget out. We can walk through that with people. We can pull out of them the information. They don't have to think about what are all the things. We can just ask them direct questions of what is this, what is this, and then they can kind of sort through their records to figure out an answer to to create that budget. Mm -hmm. And if we can get you to a balanced budget, then at least you're going to be on a solid financial footing going forward. Right. You're going to be able to know what those discretionary items you can have, or maybe if it's going to, you know, um, take, you know, you cutting back on those things for Mm -hmm. a little bit, for a little while, maybe, or short periods of time, but at least you're going to know those going forward. Right. So it's important not to deprive yourself of enjoyment within what you have budgeted. Like we have to live, we have to enjoy ourselves and things like that. And you do want to have occasional like rewards or entertainment built into it. If you don't, what tends to happen is that we rebel against it and then have a big splurge. Right. (laughs) And then we're like, oh, my credit card's crazy. I don't have any money left. I'm in trouble. So if you can avoid that by just having some regular things built into it so that you enjoy life consistently versus one crazy big splurge, you're going to definitely be better off. And you're going to stick to that budget more. And so that those parts are actually built into a budget. So it's not just about things that you have to have. It's building in those fun things, too. Right. Okay, so part of figuring out what your bills are going to be is also going to be figuring out what your total debt load is. Mm-hmm. Now, coming out of divorce, most people are super clear about their debt in a way that they haven't been before, and that is because a lot of times the debt splits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so certain debts follow each person coming out of a divorce. All right, so if you have debt coming out of a divorce, you have to understand if you're going to be able to maintain that debt payment. Mm-hmm. And the biggest one that I see impacting people following a divorce is the mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. So probably one of the bigger fights. So once you're once you're not fighting about the kids, <laughs> <laughs> the next biggest fight tends to be about the house. So who's going to keep the house? Who's going to keep it or who's going to pay for it or if you're going to keep it and still get some help. So those things are what has to be hashed out. Yes, exactly. So – Do you need to have the same size of house post-divorce? There's probably one less person living in that space. Mm -hmm. Might be bigger (laughs) than what you need. (laughs) Yep. So do you need to have that much space? And can you comfortably afford the mortgage on it are the big questions you have to ask yourself. Now, I'm certainly not discounting the fact that kids tend to need stability and that keeping them in the same home is frequently a good idea from a psychological standpoint. That's not the piece that I'm talking about, but... All of that aside, from a financial standpoint, is staying in a home with that mortgage payment something that's sustainable for you? Right. You really need to reevaluate that and just make sure that that's going to be something that is feasible for you to do. Because otherwise, you know, the the aspect of the keeping the children and everything like that stable, if you you know are going to upset the mm-hmm. apple cart by not being able to afford that home, that's going to cause problems in and itself. Now, a lot of people leave a marriage with credit card debt. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I want to speak to about getting yourself to financial recovery after a divorce is addressing that credit card debt. So first of all, you want to take a good hard look at what is the credit card debt? 
how much there is, where the balances are, and you want to find out what the interest rate is that you're paying on each card. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you may want to refinance that credit card debt into a single loan at a lower interest rate, or you're going to want to work really hard to pay down the highest interest rate balances first to get out from under that crippling rate. A lot of those are at like 25%. I mean, the credit card rates are astonishing. Right. And sometimes you might not have been the one handling that mm-hmm. in the in the relationship before when you were married. So it might be all new to you. So it's a really good time to get established and understand how all that works. Yeah. So, so far we've talked about assess your current financial situation establish a budget, and get a handle on your debt. Those are some really, really big, important pieces. And none of that is considered fun planning. I totally get that. (laughs) It's like the ugly part of the planning, but it's also the foundational pieces. Right. It's absolutely necessary for you to be able to move on and move past the divorce. Right. So if those are the areas that you struggle getting yourself to do, that's when you do need to reach out to Dooley. You need to reach out to a planner. You need to be saying, get me some help with the foundation part, because if you have a strong foundation, you can build from there. Absolutely. Those are the first things. All right. The next things to be thinking about then are reprioritizing and reevaluating what your financial goals really are. Mm -hmm. So once your foundation is built, you can start to look forward and say, okay, well, what's next for me? Right. Are you going to have those same retirement goals or the same goals that you had before? Mm Because some of those things probably have shifted. Right. So a lot of people, when they think about their new financial goals post-divorce, they're thinking about how do I set myself up for a strong retirement now that the divorce is done? They're thinking about what's my education plan for children if Mm -hmm. they still have children who need to get through college age. They're thinking about their own education. Mm -hmm. So especially if you've been a spouse that's not been non-working or part-time, what do you need to do to get back into the workforce? Do you need education? Or is this a good time to think about a second career? Mm -hmm. So reprioritizing your own financial goals is really important. I also think that this is the time to think about what are the fun things that you want to have in your life and how can you use the money and the assets that you have to support that? This is the time to dream a little bit. Right. You want to put those, you know, at least put those in there so you have those things to look forward to and to shoot forward to. So those are things that you have to include in it because you got to have that balance. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes I see that people forget about the emergency fund side of this. They get so focused on just like surviving They forget that they really do need to have some emergency funds to survive. And that's one of the goals that you have to prioritize as you're getting back on your feet is building up an adequate recovery fund or an adequate emergency fund. Now, the number can be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So some people call it an emergency fund. Some people call it a comfort fund. I just say enough money for you to be comfortable. Right. There's some rules of thumb, though. So, Julie, what are the rules of thumb about how much emergency fund someone should have? You really probably want to shoot for maybe three to six months of income. So if something were to happen to you and you were unable to work, would you be able to have money in the bank for you to be able to still pay the bills and get the things done that have to continue on if you're not working. Yep. So sometimes we talk with people and they have way too much in there that you know might be hurting them because it's not being invested maybe otherwise. Yeah, you're losing opportunity <laughs> with that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or they don't have enough in there where you know they take a you know something could happen where if they do get off or if they're off work for some reason 
they're going to go to the credit cards or something like that. So you mm-hmm. want to have that amount in there. So three to six months is a good rule of thumb. But really, like you said, it's what they're comfortable with. What helps you sleep at night, yep. knowing that you have that money in the bank. So that is something that's a personal choice. But at the minimum, we would say three months worth of income or three months worth of living expenses, just so you can get by in order to figure out what's your next move if something Mm -hmm. happens. Right. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about financial recovery after a divorce. So we've talked about how you need to assess your current financial situation. We've talked about how to actually establish a budget and what's the important things that go into that. Taking control of your debt and then reevaluating and prioritizing your financial goals. Now, those are the foundational aspects of financial recovery. Once you're there, it's time to start making decisions about how to grow forward, which is the most beautiful part of financial recovery after a life event like this. Right. You want to put that piece of it behind you and you Mm -hmm. want to move forward and be able to move on to better new things. So, Right. So one of the best things you can do for yourself financially as you're moving forward is to take control of your credit score. Right. So oftentimes in a divorce, a credit score has gotten damaged. Or you come out of a divorce and you find out that you don't have credit because all the credit scores were in your previous spouse's name. Right. Um, people think that if they have a joint credit card, it might be reporting on both their names. But a lot of times it's just reporting on the primary cardholder's names. Mm-hmm. And if that was all your ex-spouse, then you don't might not have credit. So establishing good credit and or fixing your credit should be a focus in the year after your divorce. Right. So you want to pull that credit report. And a lot of pl- the, all the places usually give you one time a year mm-hmm. that you can pull those from all the fr- the three different major credit reporting agencies. Yeah. So that's really important to get. That's your starting point to say, do I have credit or is there any credit that's been damaged or those things that I need to get fixed? So right. pull those credit reports. Yeah. You're going to look at them and be able to see where the dings are. And then you're going to be able to see what your score is. And ultimately, you're wanting your score to be above 700 at minimum. Mm-hmm. So there are tips and tricks to the trade of improving your credit. And that's where talking to a credit counselor can come in handy talking to a financial planner can come in handy. Matter of fact, we have other um, radio shows and podcasts that we've done that speak to how to actually build your credit. So if you're interested in that, reach out to us and we can give you the show so you can go back and listen to how to actually build and improve your credit. There's a lot of different moving parts in there. Mm -hmm. So once you've taken a look at that and gone into it, you want to make sure accounts that maybe you had jointly with your ex-spouse are closed. Make Mm -hmm. sure those things are closed and those are no longer there. Or if you um, maintained a balance or something like that, you want to make sure the name is changed. It's solely in your name, change beneficiaries, all that type of stuff. Yep. Okay, once you've got your credit, some focus on that, then you also want to be addressing your assets. So investment accounts that now are yours post-divorce, we need to get them set up in a way that reflects your goals, your risk levels that you're comfortable, and the purpose of the money now in your life. So there are many things that go into that. You might have IRAs that were yours that you need to figure out what to do with. You might have your 401k that you need to figure out how to allocate in a way that is now for your life as a newly single person. You may have gotten some 401k or IRA money from your ex-spouse that's in your name or is in a type of an account called a quadro. And a quadro is how they split retirement accounts if that that 
is part current of the 401k yeah. is going to get split. And, and so you might have just regular investment accounts too, or cash that you need to figure out with. So the thing about it is, you have to start making decisions about your investments. And you may not have been the spouse that ever did any of that. It might always have been your ex that handled it and your ex's financial guy that handled it. <laughs> right. Or even if you did handle it, things are gonna be, things have probably shifted, right? Yes. So the dollar amounts, the strategies have changed, your retirement goals might have changed. So uh-huh. you need to reevaluate everything and get it back in line in your bucket plan and strategy set up for you and your goals. Right. So this is where you do need to reach out to Julie and talk about how do you set up your assets in a way that are going to support you going forward? How do you make sure that they're set up to support your and align with your goals in Mm -hmm. your life now? Exactly. Yep. That's really important. Going along with that is looking at your insurance planning. So many of the insurances that we're talking about now are basics like what does your car insurance and your home insurance need to look like? Do you still need umbrella coverage or not? Um, but some of the more complex ones are, well, now that you're no longer married, what are your life insurance goals? Right. Has that changed as well? Do you yep. need more insurance or do you not need as much? Right. Exactly. Do you have children you're trying to protect mm-hmm. or are they grown adults and you're not so worried about that? A lot of times in a marriage, life insurance is there to protect a surviving spouse. And if there's no longer a surviving spouse, that changes everything from a life insurance perspective. Mm -hmm. So you might be able to utilize assets that have been built up in life insurance for a a better purpose now that Mm -hmm. aligns with your life. Or you may be able to spend less on insurance because your insurance needs have changed. Right. So evaluating those things is really important for someone post-divorce. Yep. The next part of it is the health insurance. You really want to review that and make sure you have adequate coverage. Things mm-hmm. might have changed. Again, it's not going to be, you know, you. it's just going to be you and possibly children or just you now. So those costs are really going to change on there. So it's making sure you have the adequate coverage for you and if you have children that they're covered as well or who's taking care of that expense on the children's side. Right. Now, one thing that people don't realize is once you get a divorce and you move from a married tax bracket to a single tax bracket, that is a big, big tax difference. The tax implications of being a single filer versus a married filing jointly filer are pretty big. And and people don't have any idea that it works like that. So you are going to be in a different tax bracket, most likely. And the way your assets are taxed are going to have different implications, like where you draw money from. Right. So it's very important that your financial advisor and your tax preparer are collaborating with each other to make sure that you're not paying unnecessary tax on anything. Right. We're really good at helping people understand what things they need to adjust and tweak if they need to. And therefore, we can share that with you and you can take that to your tax advisor. So we're all working together. Right. So the thing that you also have to keep in mind with this is um, the tax rules change. Right. So what Constantly. you think was supposed to happen with alimony because your friend who got divorced five years ago says it works this way is not how it works today. Alimony right. rules changed. A lot of the tax status changed when we had the last big tax overhaul. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand the tax implications of decisions you're making. And that means your financial planners have to understand tax management. They don't have to be tax preparers, but they have to understand tax management and be willing to collaborate with your tax preparer to make sure you set up the best possible tax situation for you. Mm -hmm. 
And the last thing we want to talk about in financial recovery after divorce is related to your estate planning and getting all your ducks in a row from an estate planning perspective. So what's the first move you need to make from an estate planning? You need to update those beneficiaries. Yep, get your ex <laughs> off of there, baby. <laughs> you see all too often, that's one of the things that people a lot of times forget. They might um, take the spouse off, you know, some of the accounts, but not mm-hmm. all of them. So it's really important to make sure you get that off there. First of all, update who the primary beneficiary is going to be. Mm-hmm. Get that will updated. The power of attorneys, those type of things. You might have had all them set up and usually the primary is going to be the spouse. So you right. want to get that updated first and foremost. So let's talk a little bit about rules of beneficiary. So primary beneficiaries, who gets the money if you're dead? Mm-hmm. A contingent beneficiary only gets money if you and all primary beneficiaries are also dead. Right. Okay. Now, the caveat to that would be some wording that's called per stirpes. Stirpes is S-T-I-R-P-E-S. People ask me all the time, what's that word? And it's a Latin word that just means or their descendants. Mm-hmm. So if you say your primary beneficiaries are your two kids per stirpes, then if one of your children has passed away, their heirs would get their share. Right. Okay. Otherwise, if you don't have persterpes on there, then their share is going to go to the other sibling that's mentioned in the in the contingent beneficiary. Ex- uh, in the primary. Yeah, in, yeah, in the yeah. primary. Mm-hmm. Yep. So here's the thing with the beneficiaries is if you are in a situation where your children are all minors, then you don't really necessarily – you might not want to leave those children as the primary beneficiary because – a, do you want your children running around loose with a lot of money <laughs> when they get old enough to have it, which is 18 mm-hmm. in most states? And B, um, what's going to happen in the interim, right? Exactly, yeah. So here's the thing. If you're leaving money directly to your children, and if you pass away, those children are going to go live with your ex-spouse. Guess who's now in charge of the money? Your ex-spouse, ex-spouse. right? So, so there's so, better ways to handle that. Right. So that makes getting your will done uh, even more important, because in your will, you can set up a trust that will be created at your death. It's called a testamentary trust. You can set that up so that these are the rules of the money. And most importantly, who's in charge of the money for those kiddos? They can be in charge of doling it out up until the time that the children are older. It can be used for whatever you want it to, education, health, welfare, maintenance, things like that. And then you can say and give them some when they're like 25 or some when they're 30 and the rest when they're 35. So they're not let loose with loads of money when they're 18 and just blow it. So the different tranches are going to help them just keep that money longer. It's going to hopefully they'll be more mature by the time that they're getting it. But it's really going to make sure that your wishes are done and that money is going absolutely to the kids. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Okay, so we hope that's been really helpful from the standpoint of what to do to actually take care of your assets, build your credit, address your investments and your insurance needs, take care of the estate planning things. And all of these things will help you on your road to financial recovery after a divorce. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. 
Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555.